Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. This is going to be a special edition. We're going to talk about so many questions, misinformation, myths about the salary cap in the NFL as we go into a league year in a matter of a couple weeks. We're in this new 2021 league year in the NFL. I thought I'd answer a lot of them. I thought I'd give you a lot of cap 101. This is going to be a master class. Having lived the cap as an agent for 10 years, running, managing a cap for a team for 10 years, studying it, analyzing it around the league for 10 years. I think I'm in pretty good shape to tell you all about the cap, especially as we head into this unique year. So that's the Brant's Rants in a myth-busting look at the NFL salary cap going into the league year. And again, You're going to have questions. I'm going to try to answer it. One thing I try to do for all the listeners is to break down complex topics and make them understandable as I can and try to get people to understand this complicated formula that we call the salary cap in the NFL. Okay, so we're going to do that here today. Welcome. Okay, what is the salary cap? Let's start at the basics. Let's bring it down to the studs, tell you what a cap is. A cap is a artificial limit on collective player spending. I'll say it again, an artificial limit on collective player spending per team, actually per league. So the NFL and the NFLPA negotiate, all this money comes into the NFL and the revenue sharing aspect of the CBA, which is always what I talk about most important. Back in the day, it was 50-50, it's gone very favorable towards the owners in recent years. And the most that's going to get out of this CBA, the one that was just negotiated in March for the player side, is going to be about 48%, which would mean 52% for the players. So you take in all the money, you decide what the player share is, you take that percentage, that comes out to X, you take X divided by 32, And that is your team salary cap number. For 2020, as many of you know, that number was 198 million. For 2021, as we sit here today, I'm recording this the evening of February 22nd. We do not know that number. A lot of rumors about 180, 182, 183. That brings me to the first myth, the first misinformation going on around there. People have reported that. There was a recent agreement by the NFL and LPA that the minimum they negotiated last July, that the cap could go no lower, no lower than 70, 175, has now been raised to 180. That's true, but the way it's been reported is now that the max, I'm sorry, the minimum salary cap will be 180. No. The maximum ceiling for the salary cap will be no lower than 180. So that's a difference. A cap has a minimum and a cap has a maximum. The the number we always think about, the 198 in 2020, is the maximum, meaning teams cannot spend above the maximum. But it also has a minimum. Now, it's not a per year minimum. The minimum spending requirements in the CBA require teams to spend 89% of the cap over four-year looks four-year tranches of viewing. So it, again, I've always, it brings me back to a pet peeve about player spending. It's not tough enough. It should be analyzed year to year. It should be higher than 89%. That's a whole nother topic. But the current news about the cap, we don't know the number, is that the maximum spending limit per team will be no lower than 180. The, that's the ceiling. 
the floor could would be well below 180. The ceiling will be 180 or 182 or 183 or 185, whatever we're gonna see. So again, to review, the cap is an artificial limit on collective spending. There's that huge number, they split it up. The players are at 47% now. That number then divided by 32, you get your team cap. That's what we're gonna to get to 180 or 185 or 182. That's not the maximum, that's the ceiling for the cap. Below that will be the floor, which is 89% of spending, but it's over four years, so it's a little hard to verify year to year because it's over a four-year span. Why do we have a cap? Because that was the deal made in 1993 between the NFLPA and the NFL. They were basically the deal came down to four words, free agency and the salary cap. The NFLPA, the union, the players got free agency for the first time in NFL history. <clears throat> up until that time, there was never a free agent in football. Also, up until that time, there was never a salary cap. So it was a trade-off. Okay, you want free agency? We get a cap, meaning the owners, a limit on spending. What a cap is, is really to prevent owners from themselves, to prevent them from overspending and trying to level the financial playing field. Everything about football and all sports, really, is about competitive balance. What they're trying to do with this cap is to create competitive balance on the financial side. You know, you can only do so much on the player personnel side. You try to have the rules. You have the inverse order draft. You have free agency restrictions. The cap is the level playing field or trying to make it competitively balanced and parity on the financial side. Okay, that's the definition of the cap. That's what we're working with this year. The reduced cap, one myth out there is these teams are waking up in February 2021 and saying, oh my God, what are we going to do? We got to cut players. We got to restructure. We got to do all these things. Hello. Hello. This cap, this diminution of the 2021 cap was known by every team, every player, every media member in July. In July. Okay, remember the NFL and NFLPA did a deal going into playing through COVID that the next cap would be no lower than 175 million, which means it could have been 175 million, some 23 million below what it was in 2020. So this idea out there that teams are, are just strapped and they're, they're scrambling, hello? <laughs> they have known this for, what is it, nine months? They've known that this is going to be happening. So again, teams prepare for months and months and months for the draft. Wouldn't they prepare the same way for the cap? Again, you would assume they're the best and brightest. There are smart people running these $2 billion assets called NFL teams. They should have been preparing for these 2021 cap that's going to be reflective of no game day revenues or a smattering of game day revenues in 2020 in the NFL. A reduced cap for the first time in a long time. Yes, it's a problem, but teams should be ahead of it. Teams should be ahead of it. Okay, so now we get to what is going to happen in 2021 with all these teams going over. Listen, here's what we have to know. If the cap comes in at 182 or 183 or 185, listen to me carefully. That is not the cap for any of the 32 teams. 
it's not the cap for any of the 32 teams. It's a number that's static that is not applicable to any of the 32 teams. Why? Because in the NFL, we have cap carryover from one year to the next. Back in my day, running the cap for the Green Bay Packers, it was use it or lose it. So if you end the year with $20 million of cap room, you could do some of these phony incentive deals like I did. I did a third string quarterback. If he got seven in touchdowns in the last game, I'd give him $10 million. He doesn't get it. We get a credit. That's a way to sort of move cap from one year to another. Now you don't have to worry about that. The new CBA allows for cap carryover. So you have every team in the league carrying over anywhere from half a million, which the Ravens did, to 30 million, which the Colts did. So if the cap is 185, the Colts cap is not 185. The Colts cap is $215 million. So no one's going to have this cap. Everyone's going to have more. Now, if they have incentives that take a net off their cap, they may go below 185. If they have more debited incentives than they do cap carryover. But most teams are going to have more than 185 because, again, did they prepare? So you have the Browns with 30 million in carryover. You have the Colts with 30 million in carryover. You have the Jets with 27 million in carryover. You have the uh, the Eagles with 23 million in carryover. You have Dallas, the Cowboys with 25 million in carryover. Um, you have the Jags with a lot of carryover, 20 something million in carryover. So again, these caps are going to be over 200 million dollars for these teams. Now, yeah, they've got a lot to cut, especially teams like the Eagles, but this is not unexpected that they're going to carry over this money. So the Eagles are over the cap, say $50 million. They just got 20 because they brought it over. And, you know, they're cutting players right and left. So first of all, each team's cap is not the cap you're going to hear about. When you hear it's 185 or 183, that's not your team's cap. Your team's cap is that plus the carryover minus any incentives that netted out above with the, the debted out. It's, it's, it's a reconciliation at the end of the current year. Did you have more incentives hit than you planned for? So that's going to debit from your subsequent cap. But teams are prepared again. Teams know what's going to happen. And again, these teams are going to have cap room that they brought over from 2020. It's an allowable thing to do. The problem in the past is you've had these teams that carry cap over and never use it. Didn't use it the year before, aren't using it the present year, bring it over to the next year and still don't use it. You know, this would be a team like uh, Jacksonville, uh, you know, that brought over cap, didn't use it, brought over again, didn't use it. So now we're going to see, you know, teams are going to use this cap. So what is free agency going to be like with this reduced cap? Well, I think it's going to be like it is every year where you have 10 to 15 golden ticket winners, the top, the, the, the top edge of the free agents, the, the luxury, the A-listers. And then everyone's going to be scrambling. It's going to be musical chairs, a lot of one-year deals. Yeah, because they hope it's going to be a bigger market next year with a, with a cap that goes way up. We'll see. But again, don't think that 185 is the cap number. I'll get back to more points about the NFL salary cap in my Cap 101 lecture to you. 
First, a word from DraftKings. It's not quite the time for madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new players a chance to cash $100. You can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any game this week, and your team makes it, you rein in $100. That's right. All it takes is one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 and $100. Sounds like a no-brainer. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S. Get your, one sh- get your shot to turn $1 into $100. All you have to do is bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code ROSS for new customers. Get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-pointer. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT, or in Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. Now back to the cap lesson. Okay. Another issue about the cap. It's not a hard cap. I've seen some places where they say it's a hard cap. It's not a hard cap. A hard cap would mean it's 198 last year or 185 this year, and that's it. You can't go over. Well, teams always go over. Well, you can't be over the cap. Yeah, you can't be over the cap, but you can be over the cap in cash spending. Okay. And the reason behind all this is, of course, proration. A lot of people know this by now, but let's just be clear. If a player signs a five-year contract with a $20 million bonus, and that bonus is a signing bonus, because signing bonuses are prorated for cap purposes. So the player gets $20 million in cash, right? But for cap purposes, it's $4 million a year. $4 million year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. That's not cash. That's not cash. That's cap accounting going forward. So player gets the cash and the cap is a lot less. So in that example, okay, you have a five-year contract, $20 million bonus. Your cash on the bonus is $20 million. Your cap on the bonus is $4 million, right? So your cash over cap on one player on one contract is $16 million. So again, Teams may be at a 198 cap last year, but they're spending $250 million. How? Because of what I'm talking about. Because of proration. The problem with proration is when things go south. And this is where things have gone south. Okay? We have the biggest examples in history right in front of us the last couple weeks. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. With these contracts, what has happened is teams negotiate multi-bonuses, signing bonuses, option bonuses, uh, renegotiated roster bonuses, which is all treated as proration, which is great if you are sure 100% that no way in God's green earth will you separate with this player. And when you have a player so much invested, like Jared Goff and, and Carson Wentz, top two picks in the draft, where five draft picks were mortgaged for them, sure. But then things go south. With Goff, the coach doesn't like them. The Rams don't care. They're an outlier when it comes to dead money. They did this with Brandon Cooks, $22 million on the books for Jared Goff while he's playing for the Lions. Where's that $22 million? It's because of all the amortized 
on amortized bonus, all the push out accelerates when you trade. So he had 22 million of push out beyond this year. Well, guess what? It all immediately accelerates upon trade. Going to Wentz, you know all my thoughts about Wentz. I thought no way would the Eagles debilitate themselves, take on 34 million. 34 million, that's the number of unamortized bonuses they pushed out on Carson Wentz because they figured no way in God's green earth are we ever going to have to worry about accelerating dead money on this player in whom we've invested more than any player in Eagles history and in whom we've invested more than any team has in any player in the NFL, including draft picks, money, dead money, pro uh, acceleration, letting foals go, all of it. Okay, they did. Okay, they did. As I've said, something got so crazy between Carson Wentz and that team, even with the coach being fired, that they moved on. Oh my God, what a breakdown in trust. What a massive, massive organizational failure that for that to happen. And it told me there's a huge breach. And I'm not saying it's definitely the Eagles side or definitely the Wentz side or only one. There's blame on both. That's a problem. It's a bigger problem for the Eagles because they didn't get return on investment. You look at draft picks as sort of a year away means round below. So if they got a third this year and a, and a second next year. I know it has upside. It's like getting two thirds. They got two thirds for Carson Wentz, who they invested multiple number ones and gave the keys to the franchise, as we all know. It is a massive organizational fair by the Eagles and moving it to the cap, 34 million. And let's be clear, I've seen this from respected NFL journalists. 34 million is not cash. He's gotten the cash. Okay, Wentz has gotten the 80-something million dollars from the Eagles over a few years. It's cap. So the acceleration hits the Eagles cap in 2021. Now, will he be off the books with cash in 2022? Sure. Sure. But you'd never intend for this to happen, right? When the Eagles did these massive deals, the last thing in the world they think, well, you know, in 2021 – We'll get rid of them and then we'll have them off the book. Off the books. They want to be this quarterback for 12 years. <laughs> so, again, when you have dead money, it's money on the roster, it's money on your cap for non roster players. Carson Wentz will count $34 million on the Eagles cap, no cash, cap, while playing for $25 million for the Colts. Okay. He'll count 25 for the Colts. He'll count 34 for the Eagles. That 34 represents the fourth highest charge in the NFL for any player. And he won't be on the team. That's why I said for weeks and months, he they would not do it, especially not getting a return on investment, which tells me this was all about a breach of trust. This wasn't about the player. They could resurrect the player. Frank Reich's going to resurrect the player. Do you really think he won't? I mean, this guy brought the team last year to the playoffs with a practice squad receiver group. Okay. Now, what happens, here's another myth about the cap, that it's some kind of wizardry to get under the cap. Well, the teams that get under the cap by pushing out cap money 
That's not wizardry. You could do that. You could do that. You take a big salary or you take a bonus. You turn it into signing bonus. So you prorate it. You push out the pain. So what teams are doing now, and again, this is a vicious cycle that I do not believe in. They're going to players with big salaries and saying, okay, you're supposed to make, say, $20 million. We're going to take that $20 million, we're going to turn it into bonus, and we're going to prorate it out the four remaining years of your contract. So now you're still making the 20. The cap goes down to five because you have this year and three more at five, 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 in addition to whatever proration is already out there. So you're stacking proration. And everybody's the wiser. And players get better cash flow usually. If I'm a player agent, I'm going to say, yeah, I'll do it. But just you got to pay me the money now, not in the season. And teams will do that, or at least partially. They'll give you a better cash flow for doing it. Now, is that a good thing? I mean, I know teams are behind the eight ball. They have to do it. It just continues this vicious cycle towards proration and problems down the road. I am a fan of teams that can pay cash and cap together. You have to get cap room to do it. But some of the best cap managed teams like a Tampa, like a San Francisco, like Indianapolis, like Jacksonville, like Cleveland, what they're able to do with a lot of cap room is to match cash and cap to have a big cap number front loaded, not back loaded. Because if you can front load cap, you won't have problems down the road if things go south with the player. For example, I've talked about the Garoppolo contract. I think he got 40 million in cash the first year. The cap number is like 37 million. So if the 49ers decide to move on Garoppolo right now, it only costs them less than $3 million. Compare that to Goff at 22, compare that to Stafford at 19, compare that to, of course, Wentz at 34, and compare that to Roethlisberger at 22 or Breeze at 22. Okay? These are problems. Imagine how many good players you can get for $20 million especially good young players. So managing a cap that way, the push out, the, the turning big salary or big bonus into signing bonus and pushing out the pain, that's not cap wizardry. That's not being a cap guru. You could do that. You could do that. You, the listener. All you do is call the agent and say, we're going to turn this into bonus and we'll give them a little more, you know, better cash flow. Agents like, sure. <laughs> Where you prove yourself as a cap genius or cap wizard or cap guru is you don't need to do that. You bring an ability to have cap room for your team by loading cap early. You never have to prorate. You have complete flexibility going forward. Okay. So when you talk about cap managers, I mean, again, I was always the one that was conservative. And when a coach or GM would say to me, hey, Andrew, can we do this? Here's the answer. If you don't think the world will end, if you think the world will end in 2022, you can do anything. Sure, you can do that. But if you're worried about putting your team in position to succeed beyond this year, if you're worried about sustained success, if you're worried about being a team that is always contending and not uh, going for it one year and worrying about it after, you can't do that. 
I mean, again, I'm patting myself on the back. Where I am most proud of my legacy in Green Bay is that Brett Favre, I resisted the temptation to do that, exactly what I'm talking about, every year. Because I knew at some point we wouldn't have Brett. We'd have a young quarterback, turned out to be Aaron Rodgers, and we'd have to put him in position to succeed and not burden him and the rest of the team with a 20-plus million dollar cap charge for someone who's retired or playing for another team. And Brett left the Packers, turned out he was traded, with 600,000 cap rooms. So again, not so humble brag. I get it. But you can't do that. Now, teams are going to do it and justify it and say, well, the cap's going to go up in a few years. Again, this is where good managed teams can really separate themselves. This reduced cap in 2021 is a huge opportunity for well-managed cap teams. They're going to take advantage of this year. This is where cap management is really going to matter. Again, my theory, match cap and cash as much as you can. Don't do proration as much as you can. I understand teams get behind the eight ball. They have to, but try to do it in moderation. Okay. There is this myth out there again that, oh, Andrew, teams don't care as much about loading big dead cap money. Where's the evidence of that? Is it, are you saying it's Wentz and Goff? And Antonio Brown? Come on. Like, really? First of all, Antonio Brown would have been kept on the team if he had <laughs> some semblance of a normal personality, right? They decided they're better off without Antonio Brown and taking on $21 million and only getting a third and a fifth draft pick than having Antonio Brown. Okay, the Steelers, to try to compare Antonio Brown with anyone else is ridiculous. As for Goff and Brandon Cooks, the other highest charge, they're outliers, okay? When you say teams are willing to take on this big dead money, well, there's one team, the Rams, true outlier. And then, as I said with Wentz, that was a huge breach, a huge breach. I don't know what went on. There'll be some backstory that comes out at some point. Serious relationship issue caused that. I don't think teams are as willing to take on dead money as people think based on these couple examples. I do think they're outliers. Again, uh, there is this idea that, hey, teams are fast and loose with the cap. I don't think so. I don't think they are. I think we have a couple outliers. Okay. Um, my, those are my thoughts about the cap. I, I want to say this. Um, there are three parts to every football operation, okay? There's coaching, there's personnel, and there's cap management. The best teams in the league are really on the same page. The worst teams in the league, you can tell, are totally on different pages, okay? When you see strong commitments to players with future proration stacked up, like a Goff, like a Wentz, You've got, and then you separate. That's a problem. Something didn't work. Something between coaching, personnel, and cap management was off. And that hurts your team. And that will debilitate your team in the future. There's no question about that. When you see teams that are standing for something, that are principled, and they have a philosophy on how they pay players how they evaluate players, how they coach players, and they're in sync. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That can happen with solid cap management. 
okay? We are going to see in the coming weeks the difference makers in the NFL with cap management, okay? The cap is like an, an, uh, stuffing an octopus in a box. There's always something going to be hanging out if you don't do it right. But good luck to them. Good luck to the league. We're going to see a lot of this. Okay, that's my quick lesson on cap management as we approach what we're going to see in a unique year of a diminution of cap from 2020 to 2021. Enjoy it. I'll be here to walk you through it. I'll be here to take you through all the ups and downs. What are they doing with these contracts? How are you dealing with the cap? Um, and that's it. That's it. I, I hope you learned. I'll answer more questions next week as we get closer to this. And then a last point about the franchise tag. Okay. Uh, as we sit here today on the 22nd, tomorrow is the opening for the franchise tag. It'll last two weeks. So basically it means nothing that it's the opening for putting on the franchise tag. The only thing that matters is the last day, which is the deadline. And you know my saying deadlines for action. There'll be some franchise tags. Um, I had Alan Robinson, who I know, who I advise his agency. Uh, in my class last week, Alan talked about knowing that the tag is in play. Don't know if it's for sure, but certainly the Bears have that option. It's a huge management tool. It's a huge management weapon. It's part of that 1993 CBA that I talked about that not only burdened the NFL players with a cap, but also with a franchise tag. It is everything. Because listen to this. The only way you have player empowerment, the only way you have player empowerment in the NFL, like the NBA or other leagues, is if star players get to free agency. And the only way they get to free agency is somehow, some way, avoiding the franchise tag, which they can't. Okay? Look at the NBA. I've talked about this before. Hard, I'm not, well, not Harden. Kyrie, Durant, LeBron, okay? Kawhi. Jimmy Butler, free agents, okay, free agents. That's how you get power. The only free agent in the NFL to show some power is the one that just did, and it took him 20 years to get to Tampa, okay, Tom Brady. So these guys, when you talk about, everyone's talking about well, player empowerment and, and Deshaun Watson. Well, Deshaun Watson, I maintain, is not going anywhere, but the bigger deal is he's years away from free agency. Russell Wilson, years away from free agency. Aaron Rodgers, years away from free agency. Dak Prescott may be the closest, but he'll be tagged. So the franchise tag takes the best players off the market. People say, well, it only affects the 10 players. Why don't you make a big deal in bargaining? No, it affects hundreds of players because it's the top-level salaries. It's the top-level negotiations, and everything is affected below it. I think it's a huge tool it's never given enough shrift in negotiations. It's something that owners, can you imagine a franchise tag in the NBA? Oh my God. I mean, it's just another weapon that management has to restrain this power that people talk about. And my final point is we are in a couple of weeks that it really shows how incredibly cold this business is. We've already started to see it, A.J. Boyer, Kwan Short, others, deletions, which really means players are cut. So we see these contracts being done with hundreds, with all these millions of dollars. They're worthless. It's not worth the paper it's written on. You're going to see that this week, next week, the week after. Veterans being cut 
shed and their salaries go to dust. Because they're non-guaranteed, they're maybe they're worth zero. So the contract is not worth the paper it's written on. This is the other side of player empowerment. This is team empowerment, where they can just cut, shed, exit, hundreds of millions of dollars of alleged contract value. I'll say that again. NFL teams will collectively shed hundreds of millions of dollars of collective player contract value with no remaining obligation, okay? So whenever you ask, well, what's the big deal if players aren't guaranteed their contracts? Well, that's the big deal. February and March are the big deal. We'll see the big deals coming on the, on the good end in mid-March, but this is what we're gonna see the next few weeks. Okay, that's my cap, that's my preview, that's franchise tag, that's what's gonna happen. I hope you are all informed and feeling better about your knowledge of the NFL salary cap as we approach league year 2021, a year like no other coming off the pandemic and God willing, not going into another year uh, pandemic related. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, my musical producer, Sam Brandt, and Apple podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. Please subscribe if you haven't already. More of this in there. The newsletter, you can sign up at andrew-brandt.com. Follow me on Twitter, as always, at Andrew Brandt. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.